Fans First Sports Network listeners, welcome to another episode of The Call Sheet. Kevin Smith with you for episode number 44 of our humble show. And the first episode where we ever get to talk about a Super Bowl, man. We just wrapped up the NFL season with Super Bowl 58. We'll have plenty to discuss on that topic. And then in part two of our show, we're going to visit with my man Pez. Bill Pezda of Pez's Picks. He was on this show early in the season when we when we first introduced FFSN to Pez, who is our in-house prognosticator. He was going to be our gambling expert. And he just wrapped up a sensational season where he correctly picked against the spread over 60% of the games uh, that, that he threw out there this year for people to consider. That's an incredible number when you consider that the national pundits, none of them, none, every national outlet I looked at, they did worse than Pez. So we'll bring Pez on in part two of our show to sort of recap his season. Why, why was he so effective? And we'll talk some football with my good friend. But first, as we always do, right, let's talk about a player who wore the number of the episode. This is episode number 44. And that's going to get me to an old school throwback guy, man. People who are about my age will, will remember John Riggins, the diesel, number 44, originally of the New York Jets, but best known as the bruising tailback for the then Washington Redskins. Riggins, in his NFL career, accumulated over 11,000 rushing yards, was the MVP of Super Bowl 17 back in 1982 as the Redskins knocked off the Miami Dolphins 27-17. Here's Riggins' stat line in that game, 38 carries. For 166 yards. I couldn't tell you the last time I can remember an NFL running back getting 38 carries in a game. It feels like it was maybe Derrick Henry at some point, but I don't know that for a fact. The the notion of your workhorse running back getting that many carries in a game is a bit antiquated, man. The NFL just doesn't operate like that anymore. But Riggins was that guy, man. Downhill, power runner. Uh, He wore... He wore what what the players on my football team now uh, sort of mockingly called the butt crack face mask, which was really just like a face mask that had two bars going across and that single bar coming all the way down the middle from the, the bottom part of the helmet to the to the lower bar. Uh, you know, Riggins was was always bloodied, always had dirt all over him. I mean, he was just a guy who you just, you pictured like he'd be right at home in the, in the, in the, uh, you know, non-helmet era, man. A dude with maybe a leather helmet and no face mask playing in 1952 on some cornfield in Kansas. I mean, the signature play of Super Bowl 17 was Riggins on a fourth and inches uh, call in the fourth quarter with Washington up 20 to 17. They go for it from around the Miami 40 yard line, fourth and inches, hand the ball on a short yardage play to Riggins. And he kind of burst through a seam created by that great Washington offensive line, the Hogs, uh, and then goes one-on-one with a poor defensive back who's got to make the tackle. And Riggins runs right through him and sprints to pay dirt, 40-something yard touchdown that really kind of puts the game away for Washington. So John Riggins, great player, but a great character as well. John Riggins was probably as renowned for some of his off-the-field antics as he was for his ability on the field. First of all, when he broke into the league and, and he was with the Jets, he famously wore a mohawk that looked an, a lot like the one that 
that Robert De Niro's character of Travis Bickle wore in the classic movie Taxi Driver. I mean, I mean, it was a it was a a, a high high. I don't know. I don't know what the the Mohawk uh, uh, langu- language is. I don't know exactly what you call a certain style of Mohawk man, but he had a big tall one. It was it was awesome looking. Uh, but maybe the best Riggins story comes from 1985, where while playing for the Redskins in D.C., he was invited to the National Press Club's Salute to Congress, which was filled with dignitaries, members of Congress, uh, Supreme Court justices, famous people, etc. And, and Riggins got seated at a table with Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, who Riggins found a bit uptight. Riggins proceeded to get hammered, uh, famously told Sandra Day O'Connor to lighten up Sandy Baby, and then passed out beneath the table and had to be carried out by the wait staff. I mean, John Riggins, very renowned party guy in, in his life and a bigger-than-life personality. And he wore that number 44. And, and in a way, I think the counterpart to John Riggins, maybe not socially uh, because he went to Harvard, uh, but, but and, and he probably knows a little bit better, but certainly stylistically is San Francisco fullback Kyle Usak, who wears number 44 and who plays very much like Riggins did. Now, now he's a fullback and Riggins was a tailback, but man, they're built the same. They run the same. But ironically, Usak, who's a fullback, is probably a little bit more athletic than Riggins. But, but that's a perfect segue into sort of our next topic, which is the Super Bowl, because Usak's 49ers just ended the season uh, in the NFL in excruciating fashion if you're a San Francisco fan, losing Super Bowl 58 to the Kansas City Chiefs, 25-22 in overtime. So as we segue away from number 44, John Riggins, into the Super Bowl, let's do a segment where we talk about our three big takeaways from Super Bowl 58. All right, takeaway number one. Well, first of all, actually, before I get to takeaway number one, some general thoughts real quick about the game. I mean, I th- obviously the ending was great. It, it winds up being the longest overtime game, the longest game in Super Bowl history. It's the first game to be played under the new overtime rules where both teams get a possession no matter what happens on the opening possession. Uh, there were some phenomenal and, and memorable plays over that end of the fourth quarter and into overtime. But if you if you take if you step back from the ending, probably wasn't a great Super Bowl altogether. Kind of sloppy in the first half. The uh, the offenses couldn't get going. Great defense, but but it wasn't one of those games where where you recognize that hey, the defensive play is defining this game. It was a, that combination of really good defensive play with some sloppy offensive play. Really just felt like it took a while to get going. And in that vein, we'll get to takeaway number one. Takeaway number one, I'm going to quote one of the great anti-heroes in, in all of American pop culture. And that is that is the great Omar Little of the TV series, The Wire. Anybody who watched The Wire back in the day remembers Omar uh, as the, you know, the guy who robbed the drug dealers, right? And I mean, Omar was not a good guy, but but you rooted for him, man, because he was stealing from the really bad guys, right? Robbing the drug dealers. And one of the great quotes of Omar's, he's, really talk, he's talking about himself. He's talking about the, you know, the people from the drug gangs coming after him. 
And, and Omar says, if you come for the king, you best not miss. If you come for the king, you best not miss. If you're going to go get Omar, man, don't miss because Omar's going to make you pay. And I think about that quote in relation to this past Super Bowl because Kansas City played about as poor a first half as I have seen the Chiefs play in recent memory in the Patrick Mahomes era. Man, they just couldn't get anything going on offense. And they uncharacteristically started to unravel. My goodness, Travis Kelsey's meltdown on the sideline following the the fumble by Isaiah Pacheco when the Chiefs were in the red zone uh, in that first half. And and where Kelsey almost assaulted his head coach, Andy Reid. That, to me, was like that Chiefs team right on the verge of just unraveling. They were frustrated. Uh, they, They didn't seem to have answers. When you when you look, I've since seen the all twenty two of that game. When you look at the all twenty two, San Francisco's got them figured out, man. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, he doesn't have anybody open. It's not like Mahomes is, uh, you know, missing receivers, missing open receivers. He doesn't have anybody open. the the Forty Niners are on to Kansas City's game plan. They've got it blanketed. They're dominating the line of scrimmage. Pacheco doesn't have anywhere to run. The one interception Mahomes throws is he's kind of forcing it, trying to make a play. There's nothing there. And then he uncharacteristically forces a throw. San Francisco goes into halftime, leading 10 to 3. But the thing is this. You just felt like it needed to be more. It needed to be more than 10 to 3. They needed to be up 17-3, something along those lines. They needed to score more points. They needed to take more advantage of the fact that Kansas City played so poorly because you really got the feeling that at some point the Chiefs were going to put that thing together. And they did, man. They did just in the nick of time, just in the nick of time to extend that game into overtime. Uh, and then obviously they were brilliant on that on that overtime drive. But, man, you come for the king, you best not miss, right? San Francisco had their chances in that first half to really bury the Chiefs. They didn't do it. And ultimately Kansas City made them pay. Takeaway number two on the analyzed and now probably overanalyzed decision that Kyle Shanahan made to take the football at the start of overtime as opposed to deferring or kicking off and giving Kansas City's the first possession. I mean, I find it really hard to, to, to criticize Kyle Shanahan in that moment. There's a lot of people who have said, hey, he should have kicked off. And here's why. Because when both teams get a possession, then you want to go on defense first so you know exactly how many points your offense needs to score. You get to see what the opposing offense does. You then get to determine what you need to do to match it or surpass it. And it allows you to sort of play the game with a little bit more direction on offense as opposed to if you take the ball first and you get to a fourth down play, you might pump that ball away because obviously you don't want to give it to the opponent in favorable field position. Whereas if you take the ball second and you know, you need three points, you've got, you know, Hey, you got fourth and four at the 50, you're going for it, right? It's a no brainer. You got to go. It just sort of, it sort of clarifies some things for you. I'm a high school coach. We, we play by the college rules whereby you go to overtime. Each team gets the ball on the other team's 25. They both get a possession. You play until one team wins and the rule is always defer, go on defense first for the, for the reasons I just outlined above. But Shanahan kicked off. 
And the reason he kicked off was because he said that if you got to the valuable third possession in overtime, then it becomes sudden death. And he wanted to be in a position where in that third possession, San Francisco could win the football game with any points. So in essence, his logic came down to this, that after two possessions, the game would still be tied, right? Both teams would punt, both teams would kick a field goal, both teams would score a touchdown. However you slice it, after two possessions, it's a tie game. And now you go to that third possession and San Francisco's got the ball and it's sudden death. And in essence, what he's saying is by taking the ball first, we get the the extra possession and the first true sudden death possession. And I like our chances in that. Now, the problem with that thinking is that you got to stop Patrick Mahomes from outscoring you in his single possession. So when San Francisco kicks the field goal on their first possession, they're now relying on their defense to stop Patrick Mahomes in, in on his possession. And that obviously was a problem for the 49ers. Kansas City engineered a great drive. They converted a fourth down, a fourth and one in their own territory to keep the game going and then ultimately drove down and scored on a first and goal play. All right. Can you come down hard on Shanahan? Yeah, you can if you want. I mean, if you're like uh, a hindsight individual, if you're a Monday morning quarterback, you can. But I but I, I think about this. This was the first game ever played under these rules. And as I told Jeff Hartman on our whip around show earlier this week, no coach in the history of the NFL has ever had to make that specific decision that Kyle Shanahan had to make. And so however he chose to go about it, man, he, you know, he was going to be the first guy to do it. And it's hard to criticize the first guy who has to do it. I get his logic. I think maybe given the fact that I have some experience with the other system, right, with the system whereby you know both teams get a possession and therefore you kick off, that I probably would have chosen chosen to do so. But I think to come down too hard on Shanahan uh, is low-hanging fruit. Okay, takeaway number three. The Super Bowl of uh, the, the MVP, I should say, of Super Bowl 58 was Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes was great in the overtime. He was great in the fourth quarter. But they got it wrong, man. They got it wrong. I know that the NFL is all about the offense. I know the NFL doesn't want to give it to a defensive guy, especially a defensive guy who doesn't show up with splash plays that that clutter the score sheet, that give that give writers easy narratives to write about. Sometimes with defensive players, you have to have a more nuanced understanding of the game to appreciate how much they impact it. And that's why Chris Jones should have been the MVP of Super Bowl 58. Chris Jones was the best player on the field in that Super Bowl, and that includes Mahomes. Chris Jones's impact on the game was probably greater than the impact Mahomes made. Yes, Mahomes inevitably won the football game for the Chiefs with some great play down the stretch. But Kansas City never would have been in position to allow Mahomes to make those plays if it wasn't for Chris Jones, there's a, there are three separate plays in this football game where Brock Purdy, if he's able to stand in the pocket, set his feet and find open and find his receiver, he's going to throw touchdown passes or he's going to throw plays that set the 49ers up to score points. There are three separate occasions where San Francisco's got guys running open and, and that Brock Purdy, if he has time, Right, he's going to be able to make the throws 
that, again, either lead to touchdowns or big plays for the Niners. That will probably put the game away in their favor. And he can't make them because in every single instance, Chris Jones is in his face. Chris Jones is forcing him to throw the ball too early, forcing him to throw the ball off platform, forcing him to do something uncomfortable that leads to an incompletion. So again, it's really unfair that the NFL, I, you know, I'm not, I don't want to use the word bias, but that they're so offensive minded and that the quarterback position is so glorified that you take a guy like Mahomes who had a good game. He threw for over 300 yards. He threw the game-winning pass. He converted that big fourth and one in overtime that allowed Kansas City to extend the football game. I get it. Played played good enough football to be considered the MVP. But if the MVP is the most valuable guy, the guy who impacted the game in the most valuable way, for Kansas City, that was Chris Jones because when they were struggling on offense, he kept them in the game by limiting San Francisco's production and, and keeping the 49ers from scoring so many points that they put Kansas City in the rearview mirror. Chris Jones should have been the, the MVP of Super Bowl 58. Not begrudging Mahomes, but man, if we're talking about the most valuable player, Chris Jones. All right, man, those are my big takeaways from Super Bowl 58. Entertaining game, probably not. I don't think it's an all-time classic, but it certainly had a great ending, uh, and, and everybody loves a good ending. All right, so we're going to take a break. On the other side, my man Pez. All right, here comes Pez uh, back on our show. Hasn't been with us in a while, man, because he's launched his own little mini empire here at FFSN. Pez's picks, his show with Jeff Hartman has taken off. It's doing great. Uh, And so we're going to bring Pez on and recap his season and get his thoughts on the 2024 NFL football season. All right, come on back after the break. Welcome back to the call sheet. Kevin Smith back with you again. And in part two of the show, we're bringing back my boy Pez. Pez hasn't been on the call sheet in a little while, but man, we introduced him to the FFSN world a couple months ago, and he has since taken off with Pez's picks, knocking it out of the park this year. Mr. Pez, what's up, man? Good to be back, Coach. Good to be back where it all started. It's a happy place for me here. Got got the mojo going early, and we never gave up this year. No, no, man. It was a stellar ride. So that's what I'm going to start with, right? Let's recap your year real quick, man. You finished over 60% picking against the spread. Uh, why do you think you had such a successful year, man? What, what, was, what, were, what were you on to? I, I was talking a little bit with, with some of my, my, old, uh, my old crew that I used to run with, uh, you know, in the old outside of Philly days, coach. And, and, and they – that we, we think maybe gambling's getting easier. Who knows? Maybe maybe uh, they want us to bet. You know, they, they send you those commercials every day, every minute. Maybe they're giving us some freebies. I, I think basketball and, and football, there's there, we don't have much parity anymore. We've got teams that have really talented quarterbacks and players and teams that really do not. So I think if you really do your homework and you – you look at data on you know teams playing on the road or home, and and you look at you look at what they've done in their past games. You, you can still get some bargains out there. You didn't used to be able to, without defense being played hard. I think if you can pick the right offense, you can make some money on sports gambling now. 
it is incredible the amount of information that's out there now. Uh, you, you can you can read volumes on this stuff. I mean, maybe sometimes it's too much information, but you tapped into something key there when you said quarterbacks. And I mean, I, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I'm assuming that's why you like the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. You 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 were really betting your your money on Mahomes over Purdy. Is that correct? Absolutely, Coach. And and that was pretty much the play we made on every game this year. We we looked at five indicators each week and, and you know, a system, algorithm, whatever you want to call it. And we try to get four to one advantage, sometimes three. You know, sometimes I'd chalk it up to three and a half. One of the things we looked at were intangibles and, you know, which is like, have you been in this level of game? Uh, have you played on the road in Kansas City and, you know, in the winter? Or have you been in the Super Bowl, right? So – we, we had that advantage with Kansas City. And when you looked at games starting with the quarterback throughout the whole season, you came out on top more than you came out on the bottom. And, and that is a big part of the league right now. They want teams scoring points. They want games exciting. You can't tackle the quarterback anymore. So if you have an accurate thrower, a smart quarterback like Mahomes, maybe. I don't know if I've seen a quarterback with a quicker brain than that guy. His brain's working two steps ahead of it. But Michael Jordan's brain worked like that too. And, you know, quarterback quarterback skills are, are not at the highest point the league's ever seen, maybe the lowest point. College is focusing on run-first uh, quarterbacks. I can hurl it up sometimes. That that doesn't translate into an NFL quarterback most of the time. And Patrick Mahomes can sit back, and he is just – he's picking teams apart. He knows their plays before they're, before they're running them, and I love watching them. And we're going to be laying some money on them again next year. I think that team's going to be even better. Yeah, that's good. That's going to be one of our, our wrap up questions. Right. So we'll, we'll hold that thought on on next year. You know, one of my favorite quotes from the Super Bowl was one of my favorite quotes from the Super Bowl was uh, from Kansas City safety, Justin Reed, who said that when San Francisco got the ball in overtime and they went down the field and they had third down from about the Kansas City. I, I don't know. They were, they were in the red zone somewhere. They had third and four. And Chris Jones got pressure on Purdy, and he forced an incompletion. And Justin Reed said, as soon as he saw the San Francisco field goal team start running on the field, he said he turned around to his teammates and he said, we just won the Super Bowl. Because I mean, he, knew, he knew San Francisco was going to kick that field goal. The ball was going to go back to Mahomes. And he was going to drive him down for a touchdown. I was talking with our man Jeff Hartman about that today, Coach. He, he said, were you nervous? Because we took Kansas City, and I, I said I really wasn't. That game seemed like it was playing out exactly how that team wanted. They didn't want to shoot out. They don't have the offensive weapons that San Francisco has. They wanted a close game, and in the fourth quarter, I'm taking Mahomes over Purdy, right? Purdy got them down there. He didn't make the big throw. Mahomes made every big play when it was needed, and, and Kelsey stepped up too. Quiet. I mean, he was barely in the game. Last quarter series, I think he caught nine out of ten, uh, nine catches, ten targets. Pretty awesome stats when they're double, triple teaming you. And I, I think going forward, the, the league is giving you an advantage. We look at that in gambling all the time. Is there an advantage this week? Is the the quarterback injured? Is is Debo injured? Is is this team horrible when they go outside? And I think what they're really giving us now is a quarterback advantage. You can't – they have different roles on the quarterback. So that tells me that guy gets the ball the most and the guys that can play the, the most mental game, we're going to be going with them in the future. I mean, that is a huge advantage in, in football, kind of like in basketball. If you can't hand-check a guy and he's a shooter like Steph Curry, 
I mean, there's a reason that guy won all those games. So I think you got to look at smart, offensive, talented guys. And, you know, that's something maybe sounds like has always been the case in gambling, but not really. I just take those Steelers a lot, Coach. If they were playing a quarterback like Jared Goff and they could still hit that quarterback, I would take the Steelers every time against them. But this year, I would have taken Jared Goff against the Steelers. And and that's something I think people got to adjust their, their gambling on and how they're looking and investing their money in these games. So, yeah, so you said that the uh, you think the league's maybe giving you some things, and that's interesting because Vegas just announced that $185 million was wagered uh, on the Super Bowl at its sport books, which is the most that they've ever taken on a single event, and FanDuel announced that they took in over $300 million, which is the most they've ever taken. So, I mean, do you think – tell me what you think it is. Is, is it – that, hey, it was this game, right? That that this game was in Vegas, which obviously led to a lot of betting at those books. It was the Chiefs, the repeat champs. It was the Taylor Swift phenomena. Was this was it was it this game that drew that intrigue? Or do you think this is just kind of the sign of the times? This is where we're headed. That 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 the American public is way more engaged in sports betting because it's become legal in a bunch of states and the league's marketing it, et cetera. Uh I I read an article, Coach, that close to 70 million people were going to wager in some way on, on the Super Bowl, whether that be an office pool, you're putting a play in offshore, onshore, you're putting a play in with your local guy if your state doesn't have a, a legalized gambling. I saw $23 billion is what they were predicting on that one game. So I think the league is getting exactly what they wanted. Legalized gambling is making them a ton of money. Uh, you've got I, – I talk about it a lot now, Coach. Gambling used to be the underworld. Me and the guys that were in the biz, we didn't talk about it. We, we were afraid of getting pinched. You had the cops calling you, you know, taking a look at, at what you were doing. And, and now you can talk about with your boss. What you bet on DraftKings? <laughs> Things are out of control. We've got housewives that are putting parlays in, uh, Coach. We've got unemployed Beach Patrol uh, legends, our, our man Legs. Legs. Putting four, or five, four or five parlays a night. I, I think the league and, – and, you know – I, I like gambling, but I, I think it's getting a little bit out of control. If you were losing money with your bookie, when, when you didn't have money to bet, you didn't bet anymore. You get a credit card now, fifty hundred grand. These people are going to be burning through those things, just like they did when they used to go to the casino. So I, I don't know if it's overall a good thing what the league's done. But, yes, they are getting what they want, and I think it's going to get bigger and bigger. By the way, do we have to have an intervention with our boy legs? Are we going to have to go in one day and sit him down and be like, you can't have seven parlays a night? Well, it, it, the good news is the, the sun starts to stay a little bit later. Uh, I think legs will be back working in a month or two. I don't know what the guy's been, been playing the bongos, sitting around on his, on his porch begging for summer. I mean, it, you know, he's, he's a reincarnated 70s surf legend, this guy. So who knows what he's doing? Yeah, I mean, you know, I really believe that our lunchtime conversation could be a podcast because it's a fascinating blend of sports, betting, politics, debauchery, history, all the above, man. So, but I won't, I won't, I won't go down that road with, with our listeners. Hey, let's 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 look ahead to, to next year, right? We mentioned it briefly uh, earlier. Vegas has pegged San Francisco as the early favorite for 2024. I mean, I'm assuming since you've uh, called Brock Purdy a fraud on many occasions that you disagree with that. So who do you, who do you have as your betting favorite for next year? You know, now the season's over coach, the, the, the adrenaline's down, you know, gambling is war. And if you don't look at it like that, you're going to lose a lot of money. You know, you, you know, my, my, my good buddy Yogi, 
when that guy goes into putting a play in, he he's going he's going to stab people in the heart. He wants to put the bookie, put the casino out of business. So now that that's over, a little bit more zen. I saw my Bob Marley movie tonight. I'm feeling good. Love is is what we should be looking at. So I'm gonna give a little bit of love at Brock Purdy, but I still think he's he's half a fraud. Uh, I I think the guy is a capable quarterback, but I don't know if you can win the Super Bowl with capable quarterbacks anymore. You used to be able to. Baltimore Ravens, even your Pittsburgh Steelers, when you were able to win the game through defense, your quarterback could be serviceable. But that, they're not letting that happen anymore. You're not knocking Mahomes out of the game. You're not knocking anybody out of that game anymore. If you think about it, very few quarterbacks got injured this year. And I think that's a good thing, but I think it changes perspectives on how you should be investing your money when you're thinking about wagering. Mm. You know, it's interesting. You talk all this talk about offense. I, I don't know if you saw this or not, uh, but the, the 49ers fired Steve Wilkes, their defensive coordinator, today. And, and I thought that was really interesting because there were a couple moments late in that game in that Super Bowl on Sunday, where Shanahan was visibly upset with some of the defensive calls. He actually called a timeout on, on one of those defensive possessions for San Francisco because he wanted the call changed. And then San Francisco was totally unprepared for the winning play, the touchdown that Kansas City ran, which is crazy because it's the same play that uh, the Chiefs ran twice for touchdowns against the Eagles in last year's Super Bowl. So that was really interesting, man, to, to see – uh, them can their defensive coordinator. And it also, it, it, it underscores the notion that like the defense has to be capable because the offenses are so good. Winning with defense is, is really probably not the goal. Like you just suggested, but you gotta, you gotta be good enough to keep some of these high powered offenses in check. And so obviously San Francisco felt like they had to move on. Well, uh, uh, field goals, you're holding the team to field goals. That's the recipe to winning games. You're not stopping offenses completely anymore. I mean, even though in the playoffs, things have gotten a little bit tighter. But if you can hold teams to kicks and, and not touchdowns and you have a, a decent to above average offense, and you're going to win a lot of games in that league. San Fran, uh, I believe two or maybe three of their starters did not know that the game wasn't ending. And I think that changed the way they reacted to that play. A couple of them did. They said, yeah, I thought it was the last play of the game. They didn't know that there was another quarter coming if, if Kansas City didn't hike that ball and let the clock go down. I don't like hearing that. I mean, that's something as a coach, you got to go over a little stuff like that. Uh, I think I think San Francisco's defense halfway through the season took a fall. Changing up that defensive line, bringing in, was it Chase Young right from the Redskins? Yep. It, bad move. I think the chemistry was never there. The pressure on the quarterback wasn't there. And Baltimore Ravens exposed them and, Pez's picks, we made a lot of money down the stretch betting against San Francisco. They they came in a big, big favorite a lot of times and did not cover. And I, I think Baltimore kind of ruined their Super Bowl, to be honest with you. I think teams figured out how to keep Purdy in check more. And they, they that team stumbled after that punch in the face from Baltimore. Um, having said that, I still think Baltimore was the best team, Coach. I, I think Baltimore probably should have won that Super Bowl and – you know, another another offense that went a little gimp in the playoffs, and that you can't do that. You got to be putting points up. So, would you make the Ravens your favorite for next year? I I I think it's going to be hard not to think Kansas City is the favorite because they're going to get better. They can't get worse. Their receivers were we were talking JV NFL guys. Uh, Pacheco is a good a good running back. He's serviceable, but their offensive line very good. 
Kelsey, I mean, maybe the best. And Mahomes, you know, might be the best quarterback ever. I mean, he's starting to trend in that direction. I, I, I like his style of play, you know, even better than Tom Brady's right now. He's mobile, too, and he can throw like Brady. So I don't see how that's not going to be the favorite. Uh, I think I think the Green Birds, too, Coach. we got some changes that are coming in in the <laughs> NFC. Uh, I'm not a Cowboys fan, so I, I, I don't think that that's going to be the team to watch out for. I think Buffalo is going to be hopefully on a mission. That team's got to be emotionally out of gas. It's been a rough couple of years with that team, so who knows how much they have in the tank. Hopefully Miami makes another run. That was a fun year. Won some early money on Miami, and, you know, unfortunately injuries kind of banged them up in the backfield. Who knows? Maybe Pittsburgh, Coach. That's right, I man. Bet- Maybe. I, I, I mean, you know, we get the quarterback situation ironed out. We'll see what happens. They won 10 games with terrible quarterbacking. And Unbelievable. It's a quarterback league, so you never know, right? You never know. Un- Give hope to those I'm, Steelers fans. I but mean, I'm with uh, you. I told, I told Jeff Hartman on our whip around show that I thought Kansas City was the favorite. Man, Mahomes, he feels like he's been here forever. He's only 28 years old. You know, and that's a young Chiefs team. That's scary. I mean, you know, I think of the old gambling day, Roger Clemens in the playoffs. I mean, whether he was on some or not, we, we don't care, Kev. As long as we're winning, we're winning money. Roger Clemens was a lock. Um, uh, thinking of the, the guy that uh, pitched for the Mets, Pedro Martinez, a lock in the playoffs. And Mahomes right now, the guy's a mortal lock. He is a cover machine in these playoffs the last couple of years. And whew, you, you don't see that very often. Of course, Brady was. But Mahomes, I, I still can't believe he was an underdog. That line dropped yeah. to one and a half the day before the game and then shot back up to two and a half. Maybe those techno nerds in San Fran really rode that lineup. I, I don't know, Coach, but I think a lot of money went on. A lot of people won a lot of money on Kansas City. Uh, I was telling on on uh, the show earlier with, with Jeff, uh, our man, the Sling Man, put in at least eight in-game bets during the Super Bowl on Kansas City. He kept doubling down. He he was seeing what we were talking about, and I think that guy made you know over a couple grand on that game just on overbet in Kansas City. And he was getting a plus one eighty, I think, at one point. It's a fantastic number. <laughs> yeah, another local legend, the Sling Man. Sling All right, man, man. we're going to get you out of here on this one, right? So tell tell the audience what where are we going with Pez's picks now as, as the football season's over? What's next for uh, for you on FFSN? Well, you know, we're going to start looking at college basketball. I mean, every gambler looks forward to March Madness and is terrified of it. It's the worst thing to gamble on, but you have to bet on almost every game. What else are you doing all day? Uh, we'll, we'll be taking a look the next couple of weeks. The problem is, as I was talking about with some of my old associates, college basketball, I think now 36 times this season, uh, top 10 ranked teams have lost two unranked teams outright, not even counting spread. The worst season ever for top 10 teams. They have a below 500. I think it's 44% winning percentage against unranked teams. So we're going to be looking for some bargains. We're going to be looking for some upsets. I think low seeds are are going to be the plays this year in that college basketball tournament, which makes things awesome, right? Uh, It hasn't had a great tournament in a while. I can't remember their last one. I think this is it. and We're going to be riding that high. Some golf action. We'll be talking about the Masters. We got the Genesis. Tiger returns this week. Hopefully, his game's sharp. We're going to have some tutorials too, Coach. Uh, poker in the casino and the fraud poker. You can play it online at home. Obviously, people are cheating, Coach. You're a smart guy. If me and you go, we're on a table together, we could call each other. 
who's doing this online poker? I have no <laughs> idea. So we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. We got triple crown races, uh, the classiest gambling days of the year, especially the Kentucky Derby. Can't wait for that. We might have to break out some some of our white, you know, or, or pinstripe suits, Coach. Maybe some big hats. We'll see. No mint julep uh, action? I've had mint juleps, and they're disgusting, but you have to have one. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think I went to the Atlantic City track with you to watch a Kentucky Derby uh, many moons ago. And yeah. We probably had some juleps in the parking lot without horses running. Oh, God. I think I blocked that from my memory. It's the best track I ever had in Atlantic City. Woo! That sounds awesome, man. I, I, I'm excited for that. It's going to be a great, uh, a great year. Football's over. Pez killed it. Uh, but he, but we're going to roll on with Pez's picks uh, as, we, as we head into some new seasons. There's always money to be won. You know, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll look at some, some soccer. Who knows? But things might get crazy, Coach. We'll see. Yeah. Hell yeah. Can't wait. All right, man. We're going to wrap it there. Thanks to Bill Pezda for uh, coming on again, man. Finishing up the season where he started here on the call sheet. And thanks to all of you for listening with me on episode number 44. All right, tune in next week. We'll be back. Have a great week, everybody. Take care.